Welcome to the Where Two or Three podcast. Christian thinkers finding their place at the communication table. Did I get that right? We're going without notes. And so the disclaimer, the best I can remember it is, um, if we say something really terrible or stupid, it's not MLC's fault. Is that kind of what our disclaimer is? It's exactly, <laughs> I think almost word for word. <laughs> well, I cut, to the, I cut to the essence of it. Yeah. So, you know, any mail is good mail. So any, yeah, any hate I think mail we can generate. We were just talking about that. We yeah. want to generate as much mail as possible. We don't really have an address, but I suppose we'll... <laughs> You can find our emails we, online. We need motiv- Just motivated listeners to get mail to <laughs> motivated, us. Yeah, motivated listeners to Google search our names <laughs> to find an email and letter rip. Any kind so. of attention for the two or three that listen to two or three. I think our email is actually oh where two or three podcast at gmail.com. Seriously, we have one? I think so. <laughs> It's I'm pretty only, sure. It's I think the only that's a, empty Gmail account in existence. <laughs> <there's> no, <laughs> I got the welcome email. Oh, boy. And then the podcast hosting site, I think, is through that. And that's oh, about it. Brilliant. I check it every morning. Nothing happens. <laughs> you do. It's like, I just want the experience of checking the mail and you there do. not being something with, like, a bill or, like, <laughs> bad news. That should be an app. <laughs> what uh, the app that doesn't it's anything. like here's a mailbox that right. will never have anything there in it there you go there's an app right there <laughs> just think of a whole ton of apps that have zero purpose but are just humorous in the concept of them <laughs> we'll start it in anyway. the future we will find our script and our app is coming out next time yeah. so what, what's next in our yeah so we'll, we'll start off uh, with a prayer alright the eyes of all look to you O oh lord and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hands and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Amen. Amen. All right, so our devotional thought will take us to First Peter chapter 3, something very familiar, and this is how we'll introduce the topic for today. Peter said, But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this, he says, with gentleness and respect. So the key words, of course, are gentleness and respect. We uh, have in mind the broad topic of how we communicate in strong disagreement, in strong controversy, where I know I'm right. And the other person I'm speaking to may be just as confident. They know they're right. I know I'm right. You know you're right. How will we communicate in a way that will be hopefully productive and blessed and so on? So that's our main topic. Um, I sometimes ask students about this verse. So if you've ever heard this verse quoted in this way, somebody says, you are living such an exemplary life, a life that puts... All that you have in Christ on display, and people see you and they say, man, I want what that guy has, or that lady has. Um, and then, and Peter is saying, this will happen to you all the time, and when it does, you should, <laughs> sorry, you should enter gently and respectfully. And of course, I'm asking the students, why is that not the right picture to have of the verse? And somebody will realize, well, Peter is talking about... Um, being persecuted. He's talking about having your back against the wall, people who think you are ridiculous, you are what's wrong with the world. And that really changes the the way you hear these words, gentleness and respect, that it becomes all the sharper, all the more surprising, all the more 
challenging to think that that's what this should sound like, gentleness and respect. So when I first heard the main topic, first heard the framing called ethical dialogue, my first thought was, well, that kind of helps to to further flesh out what Peter has in mind. You know, ethical dialogue means to confront those situations of, of strong and sometimes really emotional controversy or controversy that's rooted deeply in strongly held ideologies. That uh, this, the list of qualities is something like, we'll start with authenticity um, as the first quality of ethical dialogue, which means that I will tell you the truth as I understand it. I will make my thinking visible to you because you deserve to know. And But ethical dialogue really is trying to say, what else can that conversation be besides just simply authentically advocating the truth that we know? And so the other qualities, that they're all biblical, they're all easy to search out. Things like um, confirmation. So that means that agreeing with me is not a is not a condition before I will treat you warmly. You don't got to agree with me for me to be nice to you. I can confirm you as a human being even as we disagree. Um, empathy in this context would be I can understand um, why you might feel the way you do given what you've seen and experienced in life. I can, Or I can understand how this must sound the first time you hear what the Bible says about men and women or whatever is the controversy. I can understand how that must sound the first time you hear that. So that would be a, a version of empathy. Presentness is reasons to stay present and not sort of talk to the hand, sort of disengaging um, non-verbally or whatever. There's a reason to still want to hear, you know, what it's about for the other person. So it's qualities like that, equality. Equality could just mean equal time. It could be something about the tone. And uh, confirmation climate maybe is the last one I'll mention here. Confirmation, or I'm sorry, conversation climate means that we want the climate of the conversation to be not so unpleasant that we're not going to ever want to talk about this again. So I want the climate of the conversation to be supportive enough, and here we go again, winsome enough and pleasant enough that we may we can have the seven or eight or how many conversations we might have to have before we sort of come to, to agreement, God willing. So that last thought, I'll let you react, John. Um, you could call it sort of a balancing of advocacy with openness. It's, it's not easy to do, but it, I think it names, again, a good, a good quality. Yeah. So openness here, just let me say, not, not openness to error. We're not open to lies. We're not open to the schemes of the world or its philosophies or anything like that. We mean openness to people. So openness to who this person is, how they've come to hold their view, what it means to them, what their story is. And I think balancing those two... Yeah, Does almost transcending those two things. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I, what it, What's coming to me is that our previous episode was talking about words in a state of agreement, and this is maybe an extrapolation of of that into okay. So now, what what are powerful words like in a time when there is a disagreement? Exactly. That's that's a nice segue. I nice, like nice that. That's just a connection that kind of, I know we were kind of talking about this beforehand and it was, it's an interesting, it's just an, it's an interesting topic, excuse me. Um, but I didn't think about it like that until kind of just now when you're mm -hmm. going through the little devotional part. So right. I like that. Um, I like that frame for it. It's like, right. what are powerful words like when agreement isn't 
uh, isn't happening. Exactly. When, when something else is and we're going to disrupting. We're going to yeah. search out this idea with, you know, maybe one example I have in mind is just worship. How people can can have different ideas of worship, deeply rooted in feeling and experience. And how are we going to talk to each other that won't be just reviving the worship wars? So I think we'll come back to that as a as an example. But so in Peter's example, to wrap up our devotion, it's clearly talking about the most important controversy in the world. The whole world is lined up as for or against Jesus Christ. And having that ultimate and most important of all controversies in mind, just uh, I don't think we can say enough about Peter guiding us into a way of gentleness and respect, being ready to advocate for the hope that we have, not embarrassed of it, but also not being obnoxious if we can help it, but gentle. So again, just think about your back against the wall, someone really in your face. Think about the charged political climate. And just don't too quickly dismiss the words that what we bring to that is gentleness. And it's almost like respect is even more difficult to comprehend in a way. What would it look like to respect somebody? It's very whose counter-cultural. View is, whose view is so wrong. Yeah, and, and, it's very you know. against the grain of what you would expect in that situation. You know, backs against the wall, you know, that's it's almost like a... Right. It implies a very aggressive way of being. Exactly. But exactly. but instead, to to come to that situation with more peace mm-hmm. is very... It, and to keep that at the forefront of how you're, how you're disagreeing with people, yeah. that's uh, very effective. I think I'm I have a predisposition towards countercultural things, hmm. but it does resonate with me. It's like a because you can see there's like a gap in the way that that people, or there's an opportunity for people to be able to more healthily have dialogue. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, that's what. I mean, it's not. It's not like um, dialogue is sacrosanct, or dialogue is automatically going to solve every situation. I don't think Jesus necessarily dialogued with people. He did. There's something else going on, and yeah. So dialogue doesn't doesn't automatically remove the power issues in a situation. Doesn't automatically make things great. Just the fact that we're both talking, but it it does. It does create a place to start. It, have we talked about the ideal speech situation? Has that come up between us? No, that is not. Okay. Not on this podcast. Okay. So Kawarwas, I think, is the name. Mm-hmm. He, he describes the ideal speech situation. What he's trying to say is, like, job one in controversy is to cur- try to create the space and the tone and the kind of conversation you want to have. And that might even include, by means of metacommunication, before we have the controversy, let's talk about how we're going to talk to each other, trying to create a create the place where a very rare thing can happen, which is actually the two minds would meet across whatever the difference is. So it's sort of like uh, what that could include is we share an ideal of the fact that through our controversy, we will both come to a more complex view of whatever is the controversy between us. I'm going to understand it better, and so will you. Um, Whatever I can unfold from your point of view into my own, to, to develop my own more complex view of what divides us, I, I will. And, um, and even if we don't come to agreement, the fact that we've come to that deeper, richer understanding, I think even that by itself is a rare thing and, and maybe a first baby step toward yeah. something good to come. So Yeah, dialogue is certainly a, first, a good, healthy first step to approach mm-hmm. where sometimes that's, that's what's lacking. 
mm-hmm. it's needed. But I also, yeah, I agree. Oh. Yeah. Oh, we no disagreement. We it's agree. weird. We're having a conversation <laughs> about disagreement. And I'm how kind of like, yeah, I like that. How ironic. But it's well, yeah, it it, it just balances the advocacy versus openness mm-hmm. and sort of masters that having that mm-hmm. kind of conversation. Okay. So do you see what I did there? I said how ironic instead of how ironic. And that means how peaceful. So see what I did? I do now that okay. you pointed it out. <laughs> I think that we were talking about humor last time. I think jokes are funnier when you explain why they're funny <laughs> afterwards. Yeah C S Lewis called that the 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 vivisection. <laughs> the animal dies on the table if you're going to vivisect it. So, yes. Good stuff. So I'm going to introduce a scholar that we will not be advocating full ador- full endorsement of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Carl Rogers. He's the father of American psychology. So not not um, Mr. Rogers, who's the father of everybody else, but this is yeah. Carl, Carl Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> Carl Rogers, uh, kind of a wingnut, especially in his older, later years. He said some things about education that are indefensible, and so we're not uh, advocating him <laughs> completely. He has interesting ideas about, um, the, well, enough enough on that. We'll come back to him one day. He, What I like about Carl Rogers is uh, an idea of argument that I think is very, very useful. And you can call it Rogerian argument. If you like, and it has, it has six steps. And uh, John and I, we're going to talk about worship as an example. We were thinking about having a whole episode just about worship in terms of communication. So what does vertical communication sound like and what are its qualities? Why so saturated by symbolism and narrative and things like that? So we may still have that to come. We, we're not sure how far we'll get into worship. Yeah, for, it's but just such, such a, a working broad, yeah. as a working example. This is a... Uh, it's a good topic for the ethical dialogue exactly. conversation that's, that that's we're having. Idea. So, yeah. So, so this uh, strategy or this structure can apply to any kind of dialogue or any kind of controversy, political, you know, ideological, whatever it might be. Um, the six steps are as follows. So, I'll, I'll do just a thumbnail, John, and then we can kind of go back and unpack it and yeah. bring, bring worship in and so on. So, step one is that uh, we will. Um, describe the things we both care about. So it's sort of a common ground. We're going to start in common ground by saying we both care about such and such. And when we get to worship, the idea is going to be, let's, let's not leave this unsaid. Let's not leave it to chance that we both realize we both care about a certain set of really vital things. So that's step one. We both care about dot, dot, dot. Step two is me saying to you what I think you've been trying to say. So I'm going to express your point of view neutrally and honestly, um, not mocking or anything remotely like that, but in a way designed to make you say, mm-hmm, that's exactly what I think. And you will know that you've been heard and, and be surprised to find out you've been understood. So one is we both care about such and such. Two is here's what I think you've been trying to say. And I'll express it as richly as I can. Step three is here's how I might surprise you I already agree with you. So here are the points of agreement that you maybe didn't realize we already have. In any, I want to surprise you as much as I possibly can on that level. 
Step four is, since we're in controversy still, step four is here is my point of view, and this is where I will express it authentic, authentically, I will, I will energetically, if I need to, advocate the truth as I understand it. So I'm not holding that back or pretending I'm not sure or anything like that. I'm going to actually advocate the truth. Step five is knowing that we don't agree yet, but step five is making the appeal that in such and such small way, I'd like to think you might come my way. For example, and I'll give a different topic, it might be, you said that I was hateful or my position is hateful. I'd like you to at least agree this far that it's not hateful. You know, that I'm trying to love God or love his word or whatever the case may be. So it's asking for a small level of coming my direction. Step three was me coming your direction as much as I could. And so step six is, again, acknowledging we probably didn't come to agreement in this one conversation. So step six is to end in a positive way that you and I talking this way is going to be blessed. It's going to bring good things. And and when I said before about climate, is we did the best we could to keep this positive and mutually edifying. And so step six is to just finish in that same kind of positive way. How are, how, are we, how are we not going to be blessed by talking this way to each other, you know? So real quickly, we both, we both care about such and such. Here's what you're trying to say to me. Here's how I agree with you. Here's what I'm trying to say. Here's how I'd like to think you might agree with me, even though we're not totally together. And then positivity. This is going to be a good thing. I've, I've learned a lot from this. Okay? Yeah. So, so, so this is... And to kind of recap, this is like a strategy for how to approach a conversation. Do you think it would be beneficial to be open about this strategy with the person you're talking to? Or is this more of a, for me, this is how I'm going to approach it and we'll see and kind of react Great as the other person does? Because I would imagine it'd be beneficial if both people came into the conversation attempting to have some sort of, especially like step two, Mm-hmm. That that mm-hmm. implies that you have the capability, at least in that conversation, Definitely. to to hear what the other person is saying. Great question. So, I, so yeah, it could be that we have metacommunication, and this is the ideal speech situation we're trying to accomplish. I I could see it a few different ways, or a couple at least. One is we're in controversy. Let's say in a church and a and a big meeting's coming up, and I ha- I might ask for can I have ten minutes to address the crowd in our really heart-wrenching controversy. And then this might be how I'd structure those comments. That'd be one way. So it would be in order, boom, boom, boom. Could be even, I could maybe imagine in your living room, you're about to quit the church over some doctrinal problem, like fellowship, let's say. And I just say, I know I know this is hard and we don't see it the same way. I've been thinking about it. Could, could I just have five minutes and just get my thoughts out and we'll open it up. And I might still structure my thoughts in this order. But it could also be that we're just simply describing an ethic or, or an ethos that I'm after. And it doesn't come in this organized way. It doesn't come step by step. It just, these are the different things I reach for. And I'm hoping that maybe they'll all be part of the conversation. There'll be some element of me telling you how I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Some element of here's how I agree with you. And it wouldn't have to be this cookie cutter kind of step by step. Yeah, so, exactly. So describing so the an answer ethic, is yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Describing an ethos or an ethic, Yeah, whether it's always a structure. I like it. So how would it sound if we were talking about worship? 
And I don't even, you know, John and I have talked about, you and I have talked about worship. I don't feel like I totally know what your point of view is. And so yeah. this could be well, interesting. I to, think it, it is interesting. Um, I remember from my argumentation classes, before we even start the, the topic, we should kind of define what we mean by worship. Oh, good. And Excellent. what we are, like, what part of worship are we going to be talking about here? Sure. Um, and if we're going to model this, we should, worship is so broad, as, as right. we said, we're going to come back to it before. And I think we had, we had kind of come to a, not to restart a worship war, situation, but, um, mm-hmm. to look at contemporary worship, um, versus a more traditional approach to worship, yeah, lit- right. liturgical worship. Right. So, I mean, and, and that being the controversy that we would, we would go about. Sure. Okay. And it might be that by defining worship, we might find ourselves in that first step even of, yeah. here's the things we all care about. So I would start by saying, suggesting that maybe the word worship is not the ideal word for describing going to church because worship, I think most of our listeners have heard it put this way, is just simply saying, what is God worth to me? So I worship by saying all the ways in my life I say, here's what he's worth to me. And so if that's what worship is, then we're describing the whole lifestyle of the Christian. You know, it's it's every single day, the decisions we make day by day. You talked in the yeah. last episode about integrity and, you know, that can be framed as... I'm doing this because I'm I'm saying God means something to me enough that I would be truthful in my life. So so if that's what worship means, then the question is, is that really the main thing happening when we get together and go to church? And I would say, not really. Um, yeah, so, it seems more of like an umbrella to the... Yeah, I mean, it ha- it's going to happen there for sure. So the question I'm proposing is... You don't want to say it's not worship. No, no, but no, no, no. If we're thinking about what's the best way to describe it's part of the whole yeah. life that is worship, but what is what's what's unique about that hour? And I would I would go to kind of the the feast metaphor. So the question being who is really serving whom when it comes to that hour in church? And what I would suggest is it's like going to a banquet and it is God who is serving you fundamentally, prim- primarily the most important thing happening there is the food that you're eating, which is how the gospel is coming to you in word and sacrament, keeping you alive to God and and so on. Now, if you're at a banquet or just a fine dining, of course you're going to give some appreciation back. It'd be ridiculous to sit there mutely not saying a word as mm-hmm. giving these delicacies set in front of you. So, so yes, when we're in church, there's a part that happens when we praise and when we offer a prayer and we and when we give our offerings all those things are yeah you know like our compliments to the chef at a yeah. restaurant but what's but the the main reason for being there um the reason we still gather the thing you can't just do in everyday life just all by yourself is is being fed by the gospel and so that's what we're talking about and that's kind of sort of a bottom line premise yeah so 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 that's kind of step one then. That's what like what. Well, hopefully we both care yeah. about the gospel. We both care about. Mm-hmm. We both understand the need to hear it, and I, you know, the highest worship I will ever offer to God is simple faith. When I believe what He has done to save me in Jesus, that's that is what lets God be God. That is what gives him all the glory to Him, and so simple faith is the receiving of of the 
the extravagance of grace that comes in Christ. And so it's, it's letting God be God and see to God's greatest concern, which is to be everything he is for us. And so that aspect of worship is what I would... It could be, it could be that at the end of our controversy, that's what I'm hoping we come to agree on. Yeah. And the rest will kind of begin to take care of itself if we agree that's what it is. Yeah. That's the reason we gather. Got it. So that's like the impetus to having community in... I would say so. Yeah. We're gathering around this thing we celebrate, which is the grace of God made manifest in word and sacrament. And that is the very life lifeblood and beating heart and power the Christian has. And so, so again, we started with a really important question. What is worship? Mm-hmm. Worship is a whole lifestyle that wants to respond to the grace of God. Worship is a whole life. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. The yeah. apostle said, that's life. Mm-hmm. Going to church will not, not include that. Yeah. But I, so you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, it's it's God communicating our worth to Him is mm-hmm. far more the dominant note Got of it. the church service. I would argue. Yeah. So step one of Rogerian argument is we both care about the gospel. I know you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so what else would be part of that? Do you think? I what think part, part I think another another thing you could bring to that is the we're also serving each other when we're there. Mm-hmm. That's another very important thing that's happening. I think that could be something the, that's the serving up. of God comes through people. Yeah, the servant, His serving mm-hmm. of us does happen to come through people, mm-hmm. and not just the pastor. Yeah, we commune. We are all declaring His death to each other every time we walk forward for the Lord's Supper. So there's a lot of that going on. We hear each other's voices, which is one part of my advocating for liturgical worship. Yeah, I'll come back to that. But yeah, the hearing the hearing of fellow Christians in that dialogue asking God for mercy and receiving it. But I think, you know, if the controversy is liturgical versus contemporary, whatever, a lot of that gets lost in the words. You know, someone has said, all worship is contemporary because it's happening now. All worship Mm -hmm. is historical because it's bringing the events of Christ to to right now. And all worship is eschatological. It all all points ahead to the the day we finally worship perfectly. That's a a great $5 word, right? Eschatological? Eschatological, is that it? Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a like fine, that. fine word. Five and a half, I'd pay. You That's know, kind of logical. Yeah, there's a lot of syllables. Good point, John. Very good. <laughs> so, <laughs> do we agree that it's five dollars? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, but again, if the controversy is liturgical, as we usually understand that word, versus contemporary, um, which is not not having that historic element, mm-hmm. then. There's more to say about what we both care about. So let's just acknowledge we both care about new people coming in and finding this meaningful and understanding it. And so we both care about the growth of the church. Yeah. If you convinced me that a liturgical church can't grow, well, you've won the argument because we both care about yeah. the church. It's a central part is yeah. Yeah, being able to evangelize right. through church. So yeah. I think we both care about being truly involved, body and soul, intellect, emotion, will, mm-hmm. in what happens in the church service. So that's not a disagreement between us. We both want true engagement and impact yeah, and full participation. Right. And if you convince me that liturgical worship, you know, is just gonna somehow necessarily lack that, you won the argument because we both care about yeah. true engagement in worship. And 
So, yeah, we care about, and so what he said before was, let's not leave to chance, let's not leave unstated the fact that we're both after the same thing, mm-hmm. that worship is God feeding us with his word, worship is in breathing in, inhaling the gospel, so to speak, exhaling also our praise and thanks, that worship is for the whole person, and, and we both hunger for those outside of our circles to find a way in and not have it being incomprehensible and mm-hmm. something they can't connect to. So more, more, more to say. Yeah. And then step, so, step one. Not really. I think maybe, maybe you could go into the specifics of, of how music is used. That seems to be a core component of the, the disagreement between contemporary versus literature. And maybe that's the approachable nature mm-hmm. of it. So you could make an argument that, you know, we want people to yeah, okay. uh, to have like a likeness <clears throat> to the kind of music that we're doing, and you know, having an organ every every Sunday. I I, I know people who are outspoken against this. They <laughs> they don't. I personally, me, like I can play devil's advocate towards it, but I love the organ, <laughs> and I. Like a Bach chorale is maybe one of my favorite things to listen to, you know. Mm, but I think that's a weird. I think I'm. I think I'm in the minority. But you I know. also. But I also do understand the the point of view where. You, average American, like anyone on the streets, comes into an, a a church, and hears an organ, they might not be like, I can I can get with this. I can roll with this. <laughs> Maybe not. I can sing along. <laughs> so I think that that kind of, I don't think that adds a point. That's just kind of like a, a counterpoint to the. Yeah. The, so I think maybe when I get to step, when we get to step four. Yeah. When I would make what argument I would make, I think I could probably come back to the. the example step four. Of the step organ, four is what what your kind of, point of view. What my point yeah. of view is, yeah. and it's going to include things like. I hope you would agree with that. Mm-hmm. We, we want we want full participation of the lay people mm-hmm. instead of saying to the congregation, "You're here to watch." Yeah, we really want the people's song to be released, and and we're in that ter- <clears throat> excuse me, we're in that territory where we just have to say over and over, none of this is prescribed in scripture. We just yeah. have to. We don't want to bind anybody's conscience on a thing like this. The case for the organ is very interesting, though, because it's the organ has a certain quality that. Just kind of says, "Sing with me." It, 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 if we're after robust singing by God's people, there's something that about the organ that really works. It's a place to put your voice where you're not going to hear yourself completely. Yeah. You actually can hear other people, and you can put your voice in that spot un, under the thunder of the organ. That it lends itself to a full. It does chorus singing it, along. It really with does, it. and yeah. it, it might not be your cup of tea. I would further argue that there's something about entering a church where you really realize you're stepping out of the world into something which is, you know, our own world within the world of Christendom. And so there's arguments you can make, but I, yeah. I don't want to lose sight of this is not prescribed. Yes. And some of this is just me talking out of my own, you know, my own history and what I, yeah. my own preferences. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the first step was, here's what we both care about. Yeah. Um, I think maybe that's a good start on that one. Yeah. Should we move on the second one? Yeah, I don't think there's anything that. Yeah. 
I mean, if my role is playing sort of a devil's oh, yeah. advocate to sure, the strictly like traditional liturgical worship kind of thing. Then, then you're happy to hear me I'm say- I'm happy, yeah. We both, those, those things- We both care are, about. And I'm, maybe, I'm, maybe we'll get some fan mail about this or <laughs> a different point of view. Be yeah. happy to talk about it. But I, say, sure. I don't think there is anything- Those are core things that I don't right. think anyone with a Christian mindset right. would, would be v- vehemently opposed yeah. to, certainly. So. Well, see, I think that- you know, in a cult, in our culture going the way it's going, with a sort of a tolerance ethos, I think there are more, and, and which has good and bad. I think there are more and more people that just find a certain kind of argument distasteful, and so we're hoping that there'll be something actually appealing to the fact that we are stating our agreements mm-hmm. in 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 warm and excited terms. It's wonderful yeah. to both. It's wonderful to both want to hear the word of Christ. Yeah, yeah. And this is a great thing to have in common. I mean, think about the last time you were in a disagreement with someone, right. and the first thing that happened was you both agreed on something. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. It, Talk how about changing how, the moment? You how know? different does that feel? Exactly. Change the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the second element is here's what I think you're trying to say. Here's my mm-hmm. understanding of what you're trying to say. And so this is sort of making it up. I, we don't have an actual person in front of us right yeah. now, but I think about things like you, you're trying to, you're trying to say, don't just give lip service to what you said just now that, that our form of worship is not prescribed for us in the new Testament. Don't just give lip service to the fact that we, we don't mean to bind consciences in ways that the word of God is not. So, I think this person, this is what you're trying to say to me. You're just trying to preserve some freedom. And, yeah. And, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. So hopefully I can surprise you by saying, I really understand that. Um, sometimes I think... And that's I, kind of like blending two and three, steps yeah, two and three together. It yeah, it does, it does. Yeah. So, because step three is, I already agree with you yeah. on, on all kinds of stuff here. Um, as you think about how the, how an unpleasant worship conversation would go. You know, there's just a lot of, well, you guys are really shallow. You know, you just want a praise song that's going to say over and over, Jesus this or Jesus that. And I'm going to say, what you're trying to tell me is you don't appreciate being treated as shallow for theologically or whatever for having some different preferences. And why would I not want to to live in the thought of a given very simple lyric about heaven that Jesus is preparing or whatever it might be. Yeah. What's wrong with that? I mean, are there not Psalms that take a simple idea and just pound them home? So I'm guessing you don't appreciate being held suspect because of your worship preferences. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that what you're trying to say to me. Yeah. Yeah. Is there more that comes to mind for you, John, that you think a person um, would, would love to realize that they're being heard about? Sorry to put you on the spot. No. Right? Uh, don't think so. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of like if I was coming to this conversation mm-hmm. as someone who is very much in favor of a strictly like anti-liturgical perspective. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking of as mm-hmm. like a the other extreme. So what I would come to in this part would be what. So what you're saying is that we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. In, in that we just toss out all of the tradition and historical meaning and symbolism that mm-hmm. kind of enriches worship right. Which is for the <clears throat> sake of what I'm 
what what mm-hmm. I would be mm-hmm. doing. So, so that's the kind of thing right. that I would be. It could so it could yeah. be some some people maybe do really feel that way, but it could be yeah. a given person. I'd be saying, yeah. I know that you're not trying to just divorce us from our whole mm-hmm. two thousand year history as a church. I know yeah. you're not. That's not what you're all about. So we could acknowledge yeah. that. We, you know, it's like what criticisms have you heard? I, I've heard criticized uh, the praise band leader. Well, you're just performing. You're mm-hmm. just you're just up there performing. It and, certainly can be the case. And you're making entertainment and yeah, okay. I I guess I would say maybe you don't appreciate being called an entertainer, yeah. performer. When the fact is, pastors get up and talk, and they're in the spotlight. So just being in the spotlight is somehow automatically means your motivation is terrible. So maybe it's just step two is saying I, I know that there have been some barbs thrown your way mm-hmm. by people from my camp, so to speak. And I'm just going to say, I, I realize those aren't fair sometimes. You know, so you're trying to tell me, yeah. hey, this is not prescribed. Hey, you, listen, there's freedom here. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to, step three is, we've already said it, step three is offering the agreement that I can. And so far, everything that we've imagined this person saying, yeah, we're like, yep, we're with you. And if I was this person... Maybe a step three would look something like an appreciation for the symbolism and then to bring that out through songs instead of through liturgy mm-hmm. or sure. or something to that effect. Sure. I'm, just, I'm just trying to very much playing devil's advocate here. <laughs> You're doing so. fine. You're doing fine. So we're being sort of hypothetical. I mean, yeah. with a given person, there may be all kinds of more things you could say. But, mm-hmm. but the idea, I think, is coming across. Here's what we both care about. Here's what you're saying. The best I can understand it, you can correct me. Here's how I already agree with you. And now step four. Um, so we're gonna, what should we say with step four? Right? Step four is is fully like, just giving your point of view. Yeah. This, is how I, this is how I see it. Right. And it's not just your... What you care about, it's your full Right. Here's where I'm coming from. Yeah, this is where I'm coming from. Making my thing invisible. Yeah. So I suppose a place to this episode is about two things. It's mostly about the argument question. There there are four principles of worship that I think are rooted in the Reformation. They they have varying degrees of biblical support, some powerfully strong and some you can maybe argue. But so here are the four, and this will tell you where, where I'm coming from. Number one is that worship, as we defined it earlier, worship is going to be predominantly about the gospel. So that's number one, that worship is gospel-saturated, gospel-centered, tethered to the Word of God. So liturgy tends to be really structured around the sung word, the spoken word, 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 word. And so that's one. Number two is that I would argue for participation of God's people. So that's going to be a very significant element in how I would think about worship and how I would evaluate worship. Are the songs releasing the people's song? Are the people, like in the Reformation, the people found out that they were priests and it just changed the world, that they were no longer spectators, just simply watching the mumbo-jumbo happening up front and walking away. And so evaluate everything according to the people's song, which is not to preclude praise songs or soloists and stuff, but ultimately that the people have a very, very significant part to play in the dialogue of 
asking God for mercy shamelessly over and over in different ways and receiving it. So participation of God's people would be one of the second hill to die on, I would say. And the third one is that we would blend old and new, that we would not divorce ourselves from the whole history of Christendom, but would would uh, build on it. Um, so I always think like uh, the Lord of the Rings, when, when Bilbo Baggins gives a book to Frodo, which has blank pages in the back, I like that metaphor for that there are liturgies yet to be written and hymns yet to be composed and art yet to be in, imagined. And we for sure want the best of every age to be part of our worship, just as an ideal. So I'm not going to, you know, pound that one home in some Bible passages. I just, that's where I'm coming from, yeah. that we would honor, respect, and and love the fact that the sun never sets on the worshiping church and it's all around the world. It's all across time. And we're part of that. And why would I want to... So instead of instead of thinking, well, liturgy is just going to be going through the motions, we would say, well, no, let's teach it. Let's let's tease out the brilliance of of singing holy, holy, holy at the moment the elements are uncovered. You know, holy, holy, holy is Isaiah's vision of God, and that we would see a certain melding of heaven and earth too in in the sacrament as Christ makes Himself present. So. All I'm saying is that those elements of liturgy can become very, very meaningful. How long has a pastor been saying, the Lord be with you and we answer and with your spirit? How long has that been going on? I mean, since the third century. And to know that changes what it means to you. So this is not prescribed. Again, it's not mm -hmm. prescribed. It's just, where's where I'm coming from? I, I, I like knowing that I'm part of something as huge as that, as the church across time. And number four is just... Um, the, the arts, that a Lutheran view of worship is to give total total space and a total celebration of the arts, both visual, musical, and and some others too probably as well. Yeah. So that's a way to say, step four, here's what my position is. That's a way to just describe it. There's much yeah. more that could be said. And then step five is... Which of this can you agree with? You know, tell me where you are in these in these areas. Yeah, um, and I'll respect you. I'm not going to call yeah. you suspect again. And it, well, okay. I guess if I'm playing if I'm playing devil's advocate, mm -hmm. I very much am behind the the gospel centric aspect of corporal worship or church. Um, I guess it's not a lot of those things aren't things that I disagree with per mm -hmm. se. The things that might be that maybe you would blending the old and the new is a very interesting and a very interesting one. And then using the best of the arts is another interesting mm -hmm. one as well. And I could, you could also make arguments for participation where, you know, how many times do you, have I gone into, say like a Wells church and organs playing people are saying words together as a congregation and all of it's just like half hearted. Hmm. No one's really coming forth. Is this really the people's song? Hmm. You know, are, are mumbling under their breaths as the organ plays along versus the kind of worship experience that I advocate for is one where you can't sing loud enough. Everyone, I mean, yeah. many people, the, yeah. when, if you look at participation, 
in, in our culture, it seems like that's what people are able to, to do. Mm-hmm. And so you could make an argument there. Maybe. Well, I, I think in, in evangelicalism, there's just a general malaise or a general hand-wringing about yeah. the lack of people actually singing. Yeah. And that, uh, again, not prescribed, but just this is my point of view. So mm-hmm. step four is, yeah. is that you just see, it's sort of like the sloppy singing at a rock concert where the, the, the crowd may be asked to sing along sometimes, but they, they don't know the syncopation and, yeah. and it's pitched, it's not pitched for them. And I was in a worship service not that long ago and I was in the balcony and, and it was a, a new song we only heard one time and the syncopation was crazy and wild and it just, the balcony was full of people and I just watched them just give up. I mean, I'm not making it up. At the end of the song, no one was even trying anymore. Yeah. And so I'm saying, we agree on, we want this robust, I want to yeah. sing this yeah. stuff out because where do you sing anymore in our culture? I want to sing it with, you know, full-throatedly. And so you'd have to say something's going wrong there. That, yeah. that isn't helping us. No, exactly. Right. And my, and then... But, but the, the situation exactly. you like, describe, yeah. I would agree with. I don't like that either. Yeah. It's not doesn't help me to look around and see. And just... Not that I want to judge anybody's participation. Mm-hmm. We're not, we don't want to go there. But it doesn't help me either if it if there were evidence that this doesn't yeah. involve people on any deep level. Yeah. I agree. That's not so. If I yeah, and then I mean, going back to what it would be like for maybe an anti-liturgicalist mm-hmm. to to present themselves in in step four, even if you were using the same four mm-hmm. key concepts, and we were having like a meta conversation, like we're having now, I would think that. One, if the song is so syncopated that you can't participate, then it's not a good song, and you wouldn't want to use that. The other thing that or I would it hasn't say been taught it enough. hasn't been taught right. enough, or it is not right. isn't isn't known. Right. Another thing is that I would say that a lot of the songs that we sing, and I mean, from that point of view, a lot of those songs are bring, like they are a hearkening to the old. A lot of them are confessions of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are structured off of the Angus Dei or the, the mm-hmm. Holy, Holy, Holy. It, they're, and they are used as such, too, in the service. It just might be in the form of a song where you're used to proclaiming your faith in, by speaking, but it, it's mm-hmm. actually trying to bring back the old in that way. So, And I am a... Th- I'm a hundred percent on board with that. I think that's yeah. fantastic. I, yeah. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. So that's that room for the new. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then the bringing forth the best of the arts. I understand the the criticism of being a performance, but I also think that being able to to sing and play the instruments that we have, that is. Uh, I mean, that's us being able to worship too. Mm-hmm. That is the, you know, we want to bring the best the world has to offer in terms of what it means to, to play a song, mm-hmm. to to sing a song, and to bring people along. And we, don't, so, we don't disagree there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. The content is king. Yeah. And and that, that trumps other things. Like it's only worship if I... I had a lot of feels, or it's only worship if mm-hmm. 
whatever you might say, that the content really is king. And, and so one of the arguments for liturgy is, I don't know, I, I heard a church historian in our midst make the, making the case that it, it wouldn't seem to be inevitable that ditching liturgy means losing your grasp on the gospel. He said, not, why would that be inevitable? But he said, invariable. It's, it's been invariable in our history. And I'm not enough of a historian to evaluate that assessment, but boy, that gets my attention. So what liturgy is doing, among other things, is it's saying no one leaves here without encountering the gospel. No one leaves here without learning something about Jesus. And by liturgy, I'm including the, you know, the pericopes, the, the, the readings, and the, um, every element, the propers, the ordinaries, that are together Sunday by Sunday. Um, putting Christ before us. And even uh, pastor has a bad day as far as a sermon. I still don't leave without having been part of that dialogue of asking for mercy. I was in a very liberal church one time, very, very liberal liturgical church. And the only gospel there was the liturgy. I mean, the sermon was a political thing about Bill Clinton. The only gospel left there was the liturgy. And so, so again, that's in a, that's in a, that's in the step four category. I'm just going to tell yeah. you, just tell you sort of where I'm coming from, but not pressing you to agree with every bit of it. Just mm -hmm. We're just trying to understand each other and, yeah. as I said, have a more complex view of what this means to both of us. Yeah. So we've uh, had to add anything? I mean, yeah, I think another thing you could bring forward is the, and now I'm not, I'm not being a devil's advocate here okay. anymore, but the idea that the formality um, versus the informal tendencies that a contemporary service has, maybe maybe the the formality is a, a blessing rather than a, a thing to overcome. Where you know what are you signaling about being in the presence of God right now? I, I mean, I guess that is the title of our podcast, isn't it? Like where two or three come together. There am I, says Jesus, yeah. and that's it's an interesting question to ask. Are we? Do we really think we meet Jesus there in a special way? And if we do, then what sort of decisions start to happen on the basis of that? It's an interesting question. And yeah, I, you were in the presence of God. What happens right. next? Right. Yeah. Do you do you still drink your coffee? Yeah. <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe you do. I'm making a I'm not buying any consciousness yeah. of having coffee in church. But, yeah. But uh, I, I think. If you buy the premise that all worship, it actually is liturgical. So all worship falls into patterns. And I happen to like some patterns that have some some history to them, but all worship is going to be patterns. The pastor comes out and says, good morning. And they say, good morning. And says, I can't hear you. And then say, good morning. And that's much better, pastor says. And that's a liturgy. It's not a very rich one. <laughs> very Minnesota liturgy, I think. <laughs> so so if, all, if liturgy is everywhere, then... You, you might actually think that the informality itself is sort of the major difference if there's a debate. The, you know, and I'm torn on that one. I, I honestly, come as you are. I get why you yeah. would say come as you are because we do come as we are. We come empty-handed. We don't clean ourselves up to be in God's presence. He does the cleaning but with his baptism and absolution. So I understand. But if we're saying we want it to be as convenient as we can possibly make it, if we give ourselves over to informality, how does that kind of work against the awareness, as you said, 
God Himself is present. I just yeah. at some level I. And I mean, and yeah. I can see a rebuttal onto that where Go it's ahead. like that. That's like an essential component of who God is: is that He loves us as we are. You know, why should I be scared to be drinking coffee? <laughs> you know, like why should I be scared to be wearing whatever clothes or or this? Right, and the, the, is the this minor, what God looks at? The minor prophet like, has this yeah. line about the pots and pans being holy. Yeah, so it's the sanctifying of everyday life, and so that's yeah. a good counter argument. Yeah, it's like if my heart is there, why are you? Why do you? Why does it matter if I have, mm-hmm. you know, a beverage in my hand? I can. I can have that and also still have a special place in my heart for this, this moment, this, what I'm doing right now. So there's lots of... Yeah, maybe it's, maybe there's a cultural element there. Yeah. How do you combine reverence and transcendence with, yeah, a come as you are mentality? Maybe it's not impossible. I, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I would, I would argue though. I would say, can we agree on transcendence? That's yeah. what I would say. Can we agree on transcendence? Can we agree on our worship being very, very special, <laughs> very special and, and elevated experience that isn't like anything else in the world that you will ever do or hear? Can we agree on that? And then we can disagree on how it manifests. I'm yeah. okay with that. Yeah. You know, at least for now, we're mm-hmm. not in total agreement yet. Yeah. So that's step five is what can you agree how far can I get you to come my way? Like, let's say on those four principles, mm-hmm. that would be where the conversation would go then. And I don't know, could be pretty useful, don't you think? Yeah, I can see, I can see coming towards reading scripture as part of a liturgy that would be beneficial in a non-liturgical service. Well, now semi-liturgical service. <laughs> or something along those lines where... But that, and I think it's important to go back to First Peter three mm-hmm. is that this conversation implies gentleness and respect. Yeah, I mean, and, we've enjoyed and that, it. Yeah, right? exactly. We've enjoyed this mm-hmm. chance to understand each other better. I think it's really cool. Yeah, and being able to come at it with that attitude is what allows for those. It doesn't feel right to call them concessions. Like it almost right. feels like a it's like a fun game where you can be like, how can I like, what can I change about the way that I'm thinking about this right now? And to like challenge yourself to that. That's like, that's like, it's more fun to me. But oftentimes when we, when we think of disagreement, it gets very awful very quickly. Yeah. And, and so to have like a healthy sort of communication about, about that with someone, it's like, it's very, I mean, and so much disagreement happening uh, via like computer mediated communication, right. it's so so ugly. It's so ugly so fast that that being able to talk this way. Mm-hmm. The fact that, and we, I wonder if it implies that you be face to face with the person. Maybe that, that this kind of conversation can't happen as a. I guess maybe you could write like be like an essay, but most of the arguments that are had are like word vomit onto like one small paragraph. Right. Whereas this is a very thought out empathetic way about, mm-hmm. about coming to the situation. So I wonder if there is an implication that there's a, there just as there's like a formality into like worship, maybe there's like a formal way that we can go about having our discussion here mm-hmm. or a, a less informal sort of word banter. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 
Well, we're it's it's not having our heels dug in. Yeah, we haven't taken a position, and now I'm just gonna hold that position. No yeah, matter what you tell me. Yeah, because because yeah, how much do you want to have discussion with someone when you know going into it that nothing you say is gonna make any difference at all? Yeah, I just don't even want to have the conversation. Because at no point in the Rogerian method here mm-hmm. or these steps, right. there's no point where you would even possibly get to a, a place where you're like. This conversation is going absolutely nowhere. Right. Like from the from the get go, you're already establishing a sense of empathy towards the other person, right. which is. You know, so Martin Buber calls like, it yeah. the narrow ridge. We got yes. these two mountains we can easily polarize on, and he's describing what does it mean to reach out for each other and meet in the middle and yeah. balance that openness to the person with advocacy. And I do think that there are other cultures that that are better at approaching conflict in terms of this can be exciting. I'm going to learn something here. Yeah. So that's not necessarily my culture to naturally say, this is going to be good. Yeah. I'm going to learn something here. Mm-hmm. But I think the more we can bring that, um, the better. Yeah. And then let's go to church. I so, concur. Know, let's, right. Let's, let's, let's go to church. Now you, I'm going to dust off a Bach thing for you and you're going to yeah. sing me to Amy Grant or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I know one of those. That shows how little I know about contemporary worship. I reach for Amy Grant. Yeah. And so I guess the yeah. last step would be kind of what we were doing, just discuss, or you you affirm the the benefits of being able well, to talk right. yep, in gentleness six. and in respect. Being able to have the conversation is a good thing. Yeah. Wasn't and this we can, fun? We Wasn't this can, pleasant? Yeah, we yeah. can continue to have this conversation. Right. Disagreement doesn't have to be blood-boiling Right. rage at a keyboard right. you know it can be yeah it can be something so much better so so this is the ideal world i live in <laughs> yeah like maybe you, you could know. maybe you could call it like the ideal disagreement conversation right <laughs> something along those lines something but. like that okay how are we on time yeah we're doing, doing okay. we're doing good time for dessert can you hang out for dessert i i suppose okay i saw some drifting by so oh yeah 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 uh, what, yeah, what did you have oh, for I, dessert? Yeah, I was, I was kind of hungry for mockery. I was thinking that might yeah. please my palate right now. I was thinking <laughs> I was thinking about the ways I've been mocked by students over the years, and, and it's, <laughs> it's kind of comical. So, I mean, the first time I saw yeah. myself impersonated, like that was just surreal because it was so good. Yeah. It was done so well. It's like <laughs> I'm just freaking out. Like, Uh-oh. <laughs> um, <clears throat> here, here's what happened one time. Um, I was at a teacher's conference and I was presenting on such and such and a topic came up. Yeah. I think it happened to be uh, uh, Love Cup. Oh, yeah, it was the Love Cup. So first time I was ever openly mocked with the impersonation, it was all about the Love Cup, which I I talked about in class, something about developmental psychology. It was in that. It was, anyway. Yeah. Uh, somebody raised a question in the conference and the answer was going to be to, to talk about the love cup. I was going to go into that. But before I did that, I turned to a student of mine in the front row and I said, Hey, Ben, why don't you just tell everybody what people make fun of me for at MLC? He was supposed to say, Well, the love cup. Yeah. He didn't say that. No. <laughs> so, no. So, hey, Ben, <laughs> why don't you tell everybody what people make fun of me for? And I totally caught him off guard. Yeah. And so he kind of looks at me like deer in the headlight and kind of. Why'd out. you put me in this spot? You burst out the way you talk. You burst that out the way you talk, and then and then somebody uh, the others to my flank on the right 
volunteers, the way you dress. And then, and then somebody <laughs> puts your hand up and says, when you cry, <laughs> stuff like that. Just like started, started <laughs> yeah, a chain no. reaction. Right, my <laughs> students are warming to the task. And in my head, you know, I'm smiling, but in my head, yeah. I'm like, Lord, make this stop. <laughs> make it stop. <laughs> I just. But what have I done? Well, what have I done? What is it? You know, they say there's no stupid question. Well, that's a stupid question. <laughs> um, we finally found one. Yeah. Um, two more recent ones. I mean, yeah. there's, there's been 19 years of this stuff, so we've got a lot of <laughs> long memories of this. Very recently, at a gathering of future pastors, students, um, the entertainer for the day, it's always faculty entertainment, put up a, was putting up Pokemon cards. Mm. And so, Prof. Professor Pokemon cards were being displayed. <laughs> and so our, up comes that. the Faustian Pokemon card, and my Pokemon strength is marriage shaming. <laughs> this is my Pokemon strength. <laughs> marriage shaming. Did you have like a type? Like a, were you a water Pokemon? Oh, there was, it was the whole thing is filled in. I, oh, for, okay. I forget the yeah, details. Yeah, yeah. yeah But so the power is super power. Apparently. <laughs> apparently. Super effective. I talk about marriage in a way that makes everybody feel ashamed of theirs. <laughs> <laughs> And then the one more, more recently still, it was at the faculty graduation banquet. They were showing faculty college graduation photos with faculty, with the predictions that went with them. And yeah. mine was voted most likely to make you cry just by looking at you, <laughs> whatever that means. <laughs> my favorite my favorite is the Pokemon card. Isn't that awesome? It's funny because the, the strength is like an indirect thing that happens <laughs> is what strikes me. <laughs> Which totally. is like perfect. Totally. That's just so clever. I was I was like, I haven't ever mocked you, have I? Um, and then I remembered that I have. <laughs> <laughs> I made that rap help make that oh. rap battle that Oh, that was so was good. Like though. A, it's like a those epic rap battles of history, but it was just two professors and you happen to be that was one a of work them. of art. They, I told you this at my dissertation. After I successfully defended, then one of the guys on the committee said, we got one more thing to do. Uh-oh. They just shook, shook my hand and called me doctor. And one more thing, he pulled out that video. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and so there we all sat and watched oh, it. Man. <laughs> so uh, that was... That was a crazy time. That was a beautiful piece of work. I mean, seriously, that, that was... That was my first, my first five weeks of student teaching yeah. was when that happened. So it was like working into the night. That was hours and, and hours. And maybe hours. neglected... <laughs> Some schoolwork, but we less won't go important. into that. Yeah, less important things. Yeah, so that's, those so that, was, that was tasty. I remember you also said you, like the first time you gave out, like feedback, like you had like feedback forms for people to, to like send to you and like for class, mm-hmm. and then you like you collected them all on the first time that you'd done it, and you like go downstairs and you started reading them, and you're like, oh, oh man, oh, just <laughs> <was> like. <laughs> Get yeah, it was it was for a research project. Yeah. It was I was looking at the eighty twenty principle, and the, oh, yeah. the theory was that if I ask, I, I had one hundred twenty five communication students. I had five blocks, all in a row Tuesday. I thought that'd be great. Mm-hmm. I had Monday, Wednesday, Friday off, and I had these five blocks in a row. So anyway, I asked one hundred twenty five com students, "What is the worst criticism of me you can think of?" And then rate them on a scale of one to five. Like, how important would it be for me yeah. to address it? And my theory was, will they all kind of fall out in an eighty twenty of twenty percent of things had eighty percent of the importance? And it, yeah. it actually did. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. It was so it was interesting. 
But yeah, you take them down to the basement. You got 125. <laughs> <laughs> Roast me. Oh, like, and you read 10 and you, oh my goodness, <laughs> I stink. And you get to <laughs> go for a glass of wine, you know, I have a bit of wine, <laughs> 25. Like, oh my goodness, another glass of wine. Um, but actually the true story, I don't just blow smoke. I got to 80 or 90 and I got really excited because there was... There was a th- there was a couple of themes that were emerging that mm-hmm. I could do something about right now today, and yeah. be a lot more effective. And so, actually, that part of the story is you don't do this when you're having a bad hair day or, or yeah. you know, a low right. com- a low confidence day. <laughs> so you, you do that kind of thing when you really want to know. Yeah. So it was interesting, a little, little bit brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, there was okay. some funny stuff in there too. Of course, our students are yeah. really hilarious. So there's yeah. lots of lots of lots of jokes in there too, which is great. <laughs> Just what I needed. <laughs> a little lightness to it. <laughs> nice. Yeah, uh, I did wanna... have a little dessert. Oh, cool. Um, so this last week, I guess the week we're recording this, probably not when it gets released, but um, Disney Plus just came out the new streaming service. Mm-hmm. It's been very interesting to kind of see how many people are going bananas or like that how many people bought it like the first day that it came out mm. and it was very interesting because I oftentimes find myself kind of like asking the question like how is the culture engaging with media that's being presented and I think recently the trend has been an overwhelming amount of nostalgia mm. is what the culture is hungry for interesting and it's it's so much so that hmm. studios can make Lion King HD or like, right. you know, there's talk about redoing Princess Bride. It's like we know movies that people are nostalgic for. doesn't matter if we make it better or worse. We can hmm. bank on people going back and watching this because of that. So I'm just, it's just like an interesting thought to me. I know a lot of people are like that. I think the show Friends is a good example where a lot of people are just nostalgic for that sort of like, I don't know what about it. That show's never really appealed to me too no, much. Me like, um, Not at all. I have a lot of friends who are though. So what's your theory on this? I have no, I don't, for that show. I have, no, for nostalgia in general. For nostalgia. I wonder how like, it's like looking in the rear view mirror. You can't drive a car like that. But why so now? how, why now? Yeah. And it could just be someone had the brilliant idea. And yeah. I think it's like it caught, there was like a spark and it yeah. just like, Oh, remember this? Oh, but remember this too. And then like everything, everyone gets on board. Everyone who's making stuff, everyone who's consuming stuff, right. just kind of all like snowballs into this giant, like I, th- I think nostalgia, s- whatever it is. Surveys you know? are, I'm pretty sure about this. I saw one recently. Are showing a lot increasing anxiety about the future, and there's always been that. But, yeah, I wonder if that's part of what. Very anxious time. So looking forward is not a pleasant thing mm-hmm. for some people. So yeah, and I think back is that's I'll, just a. Yeah, it's easy to to look back, and you know, every generation has their oh, back in the golden days, you know, like where they can look back to a time that it was good and that gives them comfort for the discomfort that they're facing now. Mm-hmm. And I think that maybe our culture now more than ever is averse to discomfort so much so that like 
It used to be if you wanted to watch a movie, you'd have to go to a theater and pay money to experience something that you had no clue whether you'd like it or not. Now, hmm. oftentimes, you don't have to pay too much. And I guess like most of it's subscription-based now. But like, if you don't like it, you just turn it off. Right. And there's so much of that in culture and just everything that you do, you're not really committing to anything. You're just kind of like, oh, do I like this or not? Kind of like a half-hearted like engagement to it. Mm -hmm. Whereas like if you fully committed to something, and I'm not saying this is like everyone's like this, but it's, it seems like a general thing where mm -hmm. it's like if you had to kind of commit to something that you didn't know if you're going to like it or not, that just doesn't seem like something that happens nowadays. Whereas I think being able to put yourself in those shoes makes you less prone to thriving in a nostalgic environment. Hmm. So, well, I mean, entertainment is just so available. It's just so flooding yeah, it's a, our times that it, it has mm -hmm. to become, it's shoved less, in your face, like less entertaining, not I mean, even it's, pervasive. It's just like, Right. So how special is it to go to a movie? It's just not that special of a thing just to watch a movie. I mean, I'm in the vast minority, I think. I love it. But I also <laughs> like, I know I'm biased in that. So, and you can't assume that everyone will be like you. Hmm. So, but I so don't know. It's just when everything in, is entertainment, yeah. then what is entertainment anymore? If everything is framed that way from media to yeah. education to advertisement, every everything. single thing is entertaining and... So it yeah. has to have some kind of effect. Yeah. Uh, so I'm wondering, I have like, I have no push or pull in this, but I'm wondering what the natural push or pull would be for a culture that is almost choking on nostalgia because it's so much what's asked for and what's wanted. Hmm. What happens next? So... Okay. Well, yeah. that was chewy. I don't know. Yeah, it's a little chewy. Too much chocolate? Mm -hmm. Less chocolate next just, time? Just right. It was just... Just right. Just right. It's just a. It's just a, an interesting <clears throat> observation I've had over the last couple months, I think, where we'll it's like it so much content yeah. is obviously nostalgic, and that's what it you kind of bank on if you're making yeah. it, and that's what you want if you're consuming it. Yeah, so... See if it's here to stay or not. Like reality TV is, seems to be kind of here to stay. Yeah. I wonder if that's here to stay. Nostalgia? Yeah. I mean, that. Mm -hmm. I, I, the I, space we created. I in wonder, the like. Entertainment world for that kind yeah. of. I wonder how much of a shelf life it has. Like, eventually, the Lion King HD you'll have nostalgia for. And so you have to make another one to, like, harken back to it. It's like a. <laughs> very meta, meta yeah meta I mean maybe I'm picking on that movie too much but there's like so many and uh, you can I'm sure there's an interesting conversation about, oh there's only so many stories in the world and like you say mm -hmm. each one I think there's hmm. I, I <laughs> yearn for fresh fresher takes on things so it's always exciting when newer stuff like that comes out but that's not the stuff that's very heavily marketed so it's interesting mm -hmm. I'm curious ceaselessly so you know what else I'm really good at hmm. Aw awkwardly <laughs> ending podcast thank you <laughs> listeners <laughs>
We accept all your mail. We're two or three podcasts at gmail.com. All under, uh, no capitals, no spaces, nothing. Um, what else? I, want, I had like a checklist for things to do at the end of a podcast, and I'm like totally forgetting it right now. Totally forgetting it. I've never it. had set checklist. So, well, this is it then. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>